Greetings, this is Douglas Gimple, Senior Portfolio Specialist at Diamond Hill Capital Management, and this is Understanding Edge. I'm joined today on the podcast by Micah Martin, the Director of Research at Diamond Hill. Micah has been a guest on the podcast multiple times, and we have covered such diverse topics as African swine fever and the potential for beef shortages during the pandemic. Neither very uplifting topics, but important nonetheless. Micah is joining the podcast today to discuss his most recent industry perspectives piece focused on the shift to cage-free in the egg industry. You can find his industry perspectives on the Diamond Hill website, www.diamond-hill.com. While it may not be the most exciting topic, I believe that it's a great example of the breadth and depth of the research that is conducted here at Diamond Hill. It's not as flashy as autonomous cars or social media, but it represents the perfect case to illustrate how value can be found in a variety of different and interesting spaces. As we continue to work through these unprecedented times, and I'm actually back home again and recording it at home, I ask for your understanding for any sound issues that may arise. As always, stay safe and stay healthy. And I hope you enjoy my conversation with Micah Martin. Micah, thanks for joining me once more on the podcast. Uh, you hold the distinction of being the guest on what I viewed at the time as the scariest podcast we have ever done when we discussed the implications of African swine fever on the pork industry. Uh, we then got together uh, again in early May of last year to discuss the concerns around the protein industry as the pandemic threatened to severely limit supply. This time around, we're discussing something a little bit more mundane, uh, but provides what I believe to be an excellent example of the depth of the research done at Diamond Hill. Uh, you're here to discuss your most recent industry perspectives piece, which focuses on changes to the egg industry. How about we start off with some high-level background on the industry and what kind of impact uh, we've seen from the pandemic? Sure. Thanks, Doug. Always, always enjoyable to uh, to join you and, and talk about you know different industries and what's going on. Hopefully, this one is not scary to your point, um, and not you know some disease that's killing you know all the pigs in the world. So um, much more kind of mundane to your point. Uh, the egg industry is a is a fascinating industry. It's one that you know probably every person listening to this has bought a dozen eggs in a grocery store you know at some point in their life and have also been perfectly happy living a life with with um, without paying any attention whatsoever to egg industry market, you know, competitive dynamics. But it's a very interesting one to study. Uh, it's, you know, generally pretty steady in terms of demand. That's not a, you know, huge surprise. Egg consumption per capita is pretty steady and, and increasing. Um, a lot of this, you know, information about it is relatively unsurprising. The biggest portion of the, the business is kind of grocery stores. So, you know, eggs are used at restaurants and ingredients and, you know, mayonnaise and baking, that kind of thing. The producer market's pretty fragmented. Calmain Foods, which is a you know, publicly traded company, is the biggest, um, which is around 13% or so of egg production. And the top five in total is about 35 to 40%. Once you get outside of the top 10, it's, it's pretty fragmented pretty quickly uh, the, with the majority of um, egg producers, still um, smaller family-run um, kind of businesses. With the demand steady, Pricing typically depends on a lot of supply factors, um, just in general is kind of what drives a lot of the pricing uh, dynamics with the kind of the key costs being kind of corn and soybeans uh, as far as feed costs, as far as kind of the most significant cost input. Uh, that's, you know, brief view of kind of the industry as a whole. 
kind of quickly on kind of background uh, for a number of years, the egg market was pretty stable from, you know, call it 2008 to 2015 or, or something along those lines until an outbreak of bird flu. Don't again, don't worry, Doug, there's no, no bird flu now, but there was the bird flu in the U.S. in, in 2015, 2016 timeframe. Since then, the you know, market's been a bit more volatile, um, kind of driven by some of these supply dynamics that kind of I mentioned earlier. So, you know, after the bird flu dynamic, a lot of hens went, um, you know, exited the, the pool. And so in the buildup of birds after that, supply came on too strong, which crashed the market. Uh, late 2016, 2017, uh, then 2018, uh, early 2018, there were some retail wars, retailers like Walmarts and, you know, Walmarts, Kroger's of the world competing for foot traffic with aggressive like egg promotions, which also led to increased supply, which, you know, uh, Doug, can you guess what happened with the increased supply? Uh, I'm going to say prices went down. Yep, it crashed again. Uh, summer 2019 <laughs> was, was a brutal, brutal summer um, for the egg market. Then things were kind of, you know, improving some, but then when COVID hit kind of to the latter part of your question, the initial reaction was egg prices shot up like crazy because everyone was going, uh, everyone was participating in the kind of grocery store, loading up their carts, kind of pantry loading. And so prices were up, you know, very, very strongly. Um, since then, they've come back down, but encouragingly, actually, this time, um, the supply response has been much weaker uh, in part because of this um, kind of cage-free transition and not, but also probably in part of the, you know, the, the pandemic um, element. The other part of the kind of pandemic impact on, on the egg market were, is the egg market is generally a mixture of grocery stores and restaurants, kind of food service. And so obviously the restaurant piece has been very volatile over the last 12 to 15 months or so. And so um, there's been some you know, weakness there. If a, if a producer is, um, you know, if you're, if you're an egg producer selling into restaurants, but you can't find customers, maybe you'll move into grocery stores. So it's been a little bit of a challenging um, dynamic uh, from the, from the industry side. That's anyway, that's a brief kind of high level background on the industry and, and uh, you know, briefly touching on the pandemic related impact. Yeah. And a very interesting way of uh, referencing the reduction of the number of hens, they've exited the pool. <laughs> is, uh, is a very nice way of saying that they were that they yeah, a lot were of them died eliminated yes, yes. Yeah. so i you know i'm going to assume that most listeners like myself uh, are fairly ignorant of the inner workings of the chicken egg industry uh, the key focus of your industry perspectives piece is as you mentioned just a bit ago the ongoing shift uh to cage-free production there have been regulations passed in California and Massachusetts that have mandated that only cage-free eggs can be sold in those states, uh, I think starting on January 1st of 2022, and that more states are in the midst of making this transition, but on a you know, slightly longer timeline. What exactly goes into the shift from caged to cage-free eggs, and what kind of financial commitments are needed from the producers? Yeah, and this is what, I mean, this this dynamic, the cage-free dynamic is what, you know, is really leading to kind of this being our industry perspective for the month, because it's a very, very fascinating um, kind of transition. Uh, it's, um, it's, you have a lot of kind of regulatory factors, to your point. California is 13% or so of the population of America um, in five-ish months. They're less than five months now, four and a half months, they require all eggs sold in the state of California to be uh, from cage-free sources. Um, if you add up all the states that have regulation um, that have been passed over the, you know, over the next three to four years, it's roughly 25% of the population lives in those states, whereas only currently 27% of the 
the flock is cage-free. Um, that doesn't include, you know, Walmart and Kroger, you know, they said 2025 is when they want to go to cage-free. So you have a huge um, kind of transition to cage-free happening, uh, in many cases driven by state law. But you have a lot of these challenges I talked about earlier that, um, you know, feed costs are high, prices have had, you know, some, you know, brutal, brutal, um, you know, periods over the last few years. And industry balance sheets are very, very weak as, as a whole. Um, so if it's, it's um, and so as far as kind of your question, as far as what goes into the transition, it's a, it's a totally different, um, you know, you need a different building. You, you can't just, you know, flip a switch in a caged house and have it automatically be cage free. So it's, it's an expensive, capital intensive transition. There's, there's different estimates on the actual cost. The most common one I've seen is $45 a bird. So if you had a, you know, a million to 2 million hens, you're looking at, you know, 45 to $90 million. Um, but, you know, estimates are lower. It depends, you know, somewhat on if it's a green field um, where you're, you know, building your own from scratch or converting like existing. So it can be, you know, a little bit variable, but it's, it's very expensive and it takes, you know, getting a permit to operate and to do it, you know, all on your own is, is a multi-year process um, with uncertainty around some of the timing and everything like that. So um, it's, yeah, just fascinating. It's a fascinating um, environment. Uh, and it's like, it's, it's, it's kind of unusual in a commodity kind of business to have like such a significant change. I mean, when you think about like the oil, oil market, you're not getting a totally different kind of oil by law in, you know, 2022. It's, you know, you, prices go up, you pump more oil price, you know, prices go down, you, you stop pumping. Whereas this is, it's a different product. You have like secular growth and then kind of, you know, secular, you know, may, perhaps secular decline, depending on how you, how you think about it. Uh, and it's expensive at the same time in an environment with uh, very weak balance sheets um, with the, the, you know, many of the smaller family run firms. So I'll get to that in, in just a second, because I do have a question about the, the family-run businesses. But I also want to ask, you know, as, I, as you're talking, and, and I've been thinking about this and reading through your industry perspectives piece, uh, it dawns on me, you know, what is, I guess, what is the point of going to cage-free? Is it um, better production? Is it just so people feel better about how the chickens are treated? You know, what is the, what's driving this push? It's primarily... Um many drivers of many of the organizations that um, are going for ethical animal um, treatment, um, not necessarily um, taste or, I mean, it's more expensive, so it's not necessarily like a, it's a cost piece or a, a taste dynamic or, or something like that, uh, or health, you know, health dynamic. It's, it's more animal, um, animal health kind of, um, or animal kind of the people pushing up against animal cruelty, some, some different, some, there are some situations where caged hens, you know, don't have a lot of room to, to operate. And um, there's been a big drive over the years by various um, kind of animal rights organizations that's, that's driving much of that. And once it gets on a ballot of a state, I mean, a lot of people, you know, they're not, they're not as familiar with the egg industry and, you know, see something that's kind of better for chickens, you're, you're going to vote for it um, in general. So they tend to pass pretty easily once they get onto the ballot. Um, but yeah, that's that's more what's driving it than any other any other individual factor. Right. No one's going to vote uh, in favor of torturing chickens. In other right. words, yeah, right. you want to make them happy. Right. Um, okay. Well, thank you. Um, so you point out, you mentioned, you point out in your piece that the majority of participants in the conventional, I'll call it the conventional egg industry, are smaller family-run businesses. 
Uh, a lack of a clear succession plan for these smaller companies creates a higher level of uncertainty, especially at a time when the industry is going through such a major transition. Can larger competitors kind of seize this opportunity to gain even more share as smaller firms struggle to make the shift or are unable to make the shift to cage-free? Yeah, I mean, we think so. I mean, it's it seems... Um, almost inevitable that this, you know, transition, assuming, you know, it, you know, there are always risks to something like this, but assuming the transition kind of, um, you know, continues that the, you know, many of the smaller, you know, firms with really poor balance sheets um, are unable to make the investment and um, are, are unable to kind of, kind of catch up, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, if you, a lot of the family run firms, if you're a, you know, a second or third generation egg farmer, if your kids, you know, if they're, you know, 20, 30 um, years old, if they, if they want to exit the family, you know, family egg business, um, it's a challenging situation. You know, what, what are your options? If you don't have someone in the family that wants to run it um, and wants to exit the egg industry, egg business uh, in general, you could, you know, your options are to basically, um, you know, keep running it until, you know, conventional caged eggs continue to shrink, um, just kind of run it for cash until it doesn't work anymore. You could try to sell it to somebody, but um, the the major buyer over the last few years has been Calmaine Foods, and they're being cautious around buying caged cage producers. So there's not a lot of you know probably private equity interest and stuff in buying you know caged you know um, egg farms. So you can kind of run it. Um, you can kind of um, try to exit, but sell it to somebody, but that's not a very extremely viable option. Or you could you know go to the bank, take out a you know tens of millions of dollars in loans to try to, uh, you know, build up a cage-free, you know, convert to cage-free. Um, but with family, you know, that's, that's a risk. If you don't know who's going to run it, then that's a big, you know, you're a multi-year, multi, you know, potentially decade kind of commitment that is, you're going to, you're going to struggle with and, and be uncertain about. And, um, you know, it's it just, the balance sheets aren't as strong and there's a lot of uncertainty. And so, you know, it seems reasonably likely that the, the companies like a Calmaine Foods or others, there are a few others that have invested in cage-free, you know, if, if cage-free prices increase and conventional prices decrease, you know, it, it could be a situation where it just can, keeps, you know, the advantages keep accruing to the cage-free producers and the creates more and more of a headache as more and more caged eggs are chasing fewer, fewer markets. So it seems, you know, reasonably likely to, um, that it would lead to consolidation um, and and exiting of you know no one wishes these smaller firms to struggle or exit that's not you know no one wishes uh, ill upon them but it it just seems reasonably likely that that will be the case probably. So the egg industry is is entering this period of uncertainty as we've been talking about with this shift to cage free eggs on the horizon for a, a larger and larger uh, portion of the country combined with the cost and effort, as you mentioned, of shifting production to cage-free from what they were doing prior to that. So my final question is two parts. One, what are the risks associated with this move for the overall industry? And two, which companies are best suited and least suited to take advantage of this shift? It's a great question. I mean, because I mean, there are absolutely risks, I mean, for sure with this. It's not, you know, while we think it's going to be a positive for Calmaine Foods and and lead to you know more consolidation and, and good returns on many of their cage-free investments they've they've been making the last few years that really haven't seen much return. 
you know, there are there are risks. One of the primary ones is kind of is the political risk because it was many much of the transition is driven by more you know many political factors. So if you know if for example, you know this regulation goes into effect in California in in January, if egg prices spike and a lot of people are unable to buy eggs or there's egg shortages in the grocery stores or that kind of thing, then um, you know, other states may push back the, you know, push back the, you know, uh, dates where they require it. California could decide to wait till 2024 or, or something. There's, you know, there's, it's, there's this human, the human element of it. And the political side is, is very difficult to handicap. You know, the pork producers are trying to change some elements of the, of the um, legislation that there've been, you know, court cases about it. So there's, that, that's a risk. We don't know exactly what that will be like. It does seem like the shift is towards cage-free is continuing to gain steam across the country, but um, the near term, you know, it, it's political risk is, is very high. There's also a risk, you know, of, of anything that can, that changes people's consumption habits or behaviors is a risk as well. I mean, if, um, you know, CalMaine's business is basically eggs and grocery stores that's like the vast majority of their business and if people like if prices jump up so high that people lose that habit and lose the routine and lose you know don't consume as much and they replace that with something else um that could be a risk so there are there are different you know risks associated with it um for sure as far as the companies that are best suited least suited best suited probably are you know some you know there's a probably a, i mean there are a few like just cage-free pure cage-free producers that don't have to do anything that started in the last you know, a couple decades or something like that. And that, you know, they're, they're good. Um, as far as kind of the top 10, top 20, I would say, you know, Cal Mains is the best, I mean, they have the best balance sheet. Uh, many egg producers are, you know, financial distress and, and unable to, to do much. Um, they're, they're in a strong position to be able to take advantage of it. Um, they're, they're aggressively investing um, to, you know, take advantage of this transition and, and uh, keeping their foot on the gas when a lot of others have um, kind of faltered. Um, so we think we think they're in a really strong position to, to to benefit from this and you know benefit from industry consolidation and see um, returns from much of their investments that they've been making over the last few years. Um, the least suited, a lot of the smaller family-run kind of egg producers that are in the you know ranked 30 to 60, um, where there's weak balance sheets, uncertainty around succession. Um, how do they exit? What are their plans? And it's just a very challenging situation um, if, if this shift kind of continues um, for them. Excellent. Well, thank you. I should say excellent. <laughs> um, but thank you so much for joining me. This is, uh, has made what I would fear to say is a mundane topic very interesting uh, and a lot of things to watch going forward. So uh, I want to just want to thank you for joining me on the podcast. Uh, great job as always. And I look forward to reading the industry perspectives piece. Great. Thanks, Doug. It's going to be going to be a fascinating. Most people, you probably have never heard this before, but in my opinion, it's going to be the most fascinating, very fascinating eight months in the egg industry. So we'll see what happens. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Doug. Thank you very much. This material is for informational purposes and is prepared by Diamond Hill Capital Management. The opinions expressed are as of the date of publication and are subject to change. These opinions are not intended to be a forecast of future events, a guarantee of future results, or investment advice. Reliance upon this information is at the sole discretion of the listener. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal.